Welcome to Korean Ruins, where this week we haven't got anyone to talk to. us today it's really unusual yeah it seems quiet <laughs> there's no one lurking in the background of the webcam <laughs> i know we can say anything we want <laughs> yeah how you doing pal all right i'm good i'm good i was i'll be honest i was really looking forward to tonight's episode because we were going to be chatting to Awa Karobi, who was a uh, a colleague of mine at bournemouth but unfortunately she's got some internet problems so we're going to push that back oh. next week but it means you next get a week. whole extra episode yeah, yeah, because this was this was meant to be the last episode of the season. You lucky yeah. scallywags getting a bonus episode. I know, so a bonus career in ruins where we where we don't <laughs> have anything to focus on. What the hell are we going to talk about? <laughs> uh, what's caught your attention, pal? <laughs> oh, lots of stuff, lots of stuff. What a week I've had. I've, I've this has been an award winning week for me, which is is oh, rare yeah. in my life, and. I'm celebrating, and I'm genuinely celebrating with a small snifter of scotch today. I'm celebrating winning a largely uncontested trophy in orienteering, which is nice. Um, A sport I've grown to love, it's fair to say. Yes, orienteering. I think um, if we can, we should try and snip in uh, or fade in a discussion we had maybe on our second or third ever podcast where I told you about (laughs) the joys of orienteering and you... um, rapidly uh dismissed orienteering as a uh, as a both both sport and hobby and or archaeology and historic environment experience when i hear the term orienteering i kind of imagine duke of edinburgh awards and <laughs> hiking around the landscape with big backpacks but are you trying to tell me this is a sport or is it, or i've completely misunderstood i know right well this is exactly what i thought um it's brilliant. I've got to admit, you've you've tried to sell orienteering to me in the past, and I, I've always kind of, much like you did, possibly scoffed at the idea of um, a very nerdy run pursuit in the countryside. Now I, I'm going to plead the fifth here. At the moment, I'm listening to an audiobook on my way to work, 1984, and anyone that knows that book knows that controlling the past is a, is one way of controlling the present and the future. And I'm just going to pretend it didn't ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I've been loving I've been loving orienteering, and I I am the current uh, Wessex orienteering no Wessex regional orienteering night league novice champion male. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a mouthful. But someone's got to be right, and you yeah, did it. Yeah. That's amazing. No, well, happy. It's 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 my proudest sporting achievement, which says more <laughs> about my uh, sporting pedigree than anything else. But and uh, you work very hard. You work very hard on this. So for, for for people that haven't necessarily taken part in orienteering, it's more than just a nerdy pursuit, as Derek once described it. But um, it's it's running with a purpose. It's um. It's getting given a map blind and going out and hitting points of reference and proving that you've done it by digitally connecting to a point and then coming back and seeing who's got the most points and done it in the fastest time. And in the Novice League, 
Derek is the champion. Yeah, the kind gentleman giving out the awards did point out that it was it was not particularly competitive. Oh, I thought that was a bit harsh. You had you, you had a competitive. I, one. I was competitive with myself, definitely. This is why we don't let him do the speeches without reach. <laughs> well done, novices. You didn't have anyone to compete against, but well done. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I've I've fallen for orienteering in a big way to the point where I'm going to start to sneak it into teaching now. I've got a plan. We've got some some research weeks coming out where we where I'm in charge of putting um putting on fun activities for the students and we were chatting today about what we could do and doing some sort of heritage trail came to mind sort of going out and exploring the heritage of Bournemouth which given Bournemouth's a fairly new town is quite a tricky prospect but I suddenly thought why not make it more fun and employ some navigational skills some map reading skills some just general kind of spatial skills and give them a an orienteering style map with some unlabeled points so they have to figure out why it is i'm sending them to places and take a few notes nice it could be fun it could be fun i think it's good good pedagogy maybe (laughs) yeah that's quite a nice approach to a bit of varied um sort of covid friendly (laughs) teaching activities outside out and about i guess what i enjoyed yesterday is when we were texting away saying congratulations to you for your win and you identifying that you're going to come top 10 next year and all these other bits but um we were also getting carried away about the sort of variety of landscape cover that we covered in only an hour's worth of running and we ended up running around just under 10 kilometers in an hour and we saw brand new builds we saw 1950s builds we saw sort of probably some medieval aspects of the market town of Fordingbridge which we were running through and um so many other things that's right it it the thing that struck me about it most is most of the events we've done this year have been urban based, uh, which is really nice because you get to explore towns in a way you don't necessarily explore when you're kind of walking from A to B. You tend to dig out Google Maps and just follow a line the, the most straightforward way. But because we're looking to try and connect points you'd never normally try and connect in any in any real life, you see you see towns in a whole new way. But Fordingbridge was by far my favourite event because it it had a little bit of everything. It had, it, as you say, all of these different styles, all of these different um, elements to it. Yeah, it was nice. But also little nuggets of past past land activities, interactions and, and histories. So there were some pillboxes hidden away that we had to run past. There, were, there was a disused railway line. Um, and I quite enjoy running through. Uh, it's probably my main, main thing about enjoying orienteering, that you run through these places and you go, Oh, looking at that a bit differently. Whereas the reason that people win, like you, perhaps just get on with it and get their points. But I'm like, oh, look over there. Once, once I genuinely stopped and picked up a bit of Roman pottery out of a tree throw in the new forest that I knew was near a Roman site. Oh, amazing! I, I must admit, there was an element where I intent. There was a sorry. There was a moment where I intentionally took a slightly longer route because I thought, oh, that looks interesting. I'll go up that pathway. <laughs> so I stand by it. it. It is still nerd running, but it just means I'm a nerd. Yeah, welcome, welcome, my nerdy friend. <laughs> Oh, so how about you what's been on your mind this week i have had one of the best weeks going i'm not gonna lie um one of one of the joys of my my role at the at forestry england is that i um i have to check in with with the districts and we've got six districts in england so east south north central and yorkshire and um the last week I popped up to North District and then um, came home and then also spent a lovely weekend looking at archaeology in the sun. So I've been doing archaeological sort of walk and talks since 
Wednesday last week, and it's been the best. So my 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 adventures have included um, driving up Hardknock Pass in the Lake District, which is um, it's a pretty old Roman road link linked to Roman roads. Not appropriate for my electric car at all, but the most fun <laughs> I've ever had in an electric car and very damp switchbacks. Um, but drive straight past a beautiful Roman hill, uh, Roman fort in the Lake District, which is, is standing. There's an element of reconstruction that's taken place, but well worth a visit or a Google at the very least, hard knock fort. So that was that was a great start to my day on Wednesday morning. And then I drove to, um, actually, actually drove to a part of the Lake District that I visited as part of my master's training course where I did my landscape survey module of my master's and we were recording the medieval bloomery sites of uh, the hillsides um, near where, where we visited. So the site I visited was called Giggle Alley in um, sort of the, the western side of the Lake District. So that was a nice part. We drove past, past the youth hostel and it felt like full circle 11 years after I finished my <laughs> master's. Just, just to be clear, this, this was work. This is work. <laughs> no, well, now it was the one when I was doing my masters. Wasn't, but yeah. Drove wow. there, rocked off at Giggle Alley, and um, got got directed and shown to the top of the hill in one of our uh, sort of nineteen fifties forest forest plantations, where there was a, uh, a Japanese garden dating to nineteen oh four. So it's just. In the middle of the Lake District National Park, World Heritage Site, I was walking around a Japanese garden and looking at this amazing constructed landscape oh. that's just hidden away in one of our forests. And that, and this was all before 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that sort of touches on something I know we've chatted about in the pod a few times in the past, is the, this idea that so many landscapes in Britain are created and constructed and curated so they're they're kind of managed and controlled to give to give this sort of perception of nature and that to have that contrast must have been incredible oh it was great and to, to sum it up that you're right there that layering um some people might call it a smorgasbord i don't know if you ever heard that terminology before <laughs> you're gonna bite you like. um, um, but... just just letting it letting it go past <laughs> <laughs> but um there was one point where i stood there and i looked down and we were stood on top of a bloomery site, so a medieval bloomery site. Found a lump of um, slag just lying on the floor, lots of lumps of slag. Then looked up and saw some beautiful stone steps going up to part of the constructed Japanese garden. And then there were obviously all these planted trees around me from the 1950s. And then there was a dry stone wall boundary linked to the field system that was there prior to the creation of this uh, forest plantation in the 1950s. And there's just so many layers of history. I could, there were probably more that I didn't even pick up on, but just in this one spot, I could see at least four or five layers of human human interaction with that landscape and shaping and utilization and it was brilliant and um and as i say that was just the start of the day so then i went on to look at a lovely fortified roman farmstead a little bit further down the road the next day i went up to northumberland and saw another fortified roman farmstead and then um basils uh, three basil sites have you heard of those no no oh, these are awesome mm. so these are sort of these are little um fortified farmhouses dating to the med medieval period basil spelt b-a-s-t-l-e and um they're these little rect small rectangular buildings that had vaulted basements and because it's on that border between the, the scottish boundary um it just sounds like the wild west of, Br of Br britain <laughs> and basically everyone was going around 
pinching everyone's stuff and um there are records linked to these sites where someone's sheep got stolen and um they went and stole them back and they realized that the sheep had got uh, have got had got scabs or uh, were, were had got some sort of um skin infection so they went and killed the guy that um that they that had stole their sheep because their sheep weren't in good condition as good a condition <laughs> as they were when he'd stole them off <laughs> <laughs> but these amazing vaulted these amazing vaulted sites so basically they had double doors and the idea is if a raider comes over and comes to steal your stuff you lock yourself in and you, you can sort of just sit there with your food and your livestock that man, you managed to throw through the door at the time and sit there for a few days. And they have quell, um, quench holes or, or water holes that are above the door where they could pour water out of the door when they were trying to burn down your front door. Oh, no. <laughs> just put out the flame. Oh, my wow. goodness, where wow. are we? This, this tiny little like, woodland in the middle of yeah. Northumberland. It was, it was brilliant. And... Um, yeah, and then this weekend walking around Hod Hill and looking at beautiful Iron Age circular um, roundhouses just being shown up in the late spring sun, or early spring sun, I guess, late winter sun. It massively puts my week into perspective because I think that the highlight of my working week this week was uh, the realisation that we wanted to add some practical work into some teaching. And I'd spent a long time watching uh, The Great Pottery Throwdown on Channel 4. Nice, And nice. I spent the day planning a pottery workshop which i'm really oh, excited that about great i'm gonna yeah. t- i'm gonna take we've got a lovely space at bournemouth um where we have sort of concerts and performances and i'm gonna tarp it up and turn it into a big old pottery workshop with 35 students and i can't wait nice oh, i guess um that's a good roundup of what we've been up to there's some content and uh, apologies everyone that we haven't got our usual <laughs> participants to uh, remove our waffle uh, we got a cut what, what have we got um, on the cards coming up because we've obviously this is a penultimate podcast with um, next week's podcast and proper interview um, sort of sealing off season four season four yeah well we've got some very big things on the horizon which I'm going to get to in a second I think but before that we should give a little update on our uh, career and ruins in the field shouldn't we yeah we, do, we do have some interesting stuff happening there so those of you who have seen our YouTube series career and ruins in the field will know that we kind of left it on a bit of a cliffhanger because at the time of recording we hadn't done any post-excavation work whereas now we are deep into that process. We've got a fantastic student looking at our, our human remains and we've got some carbon dates, which is really nice. And we're, at, we're starting to really learn some stuff about both our two individuals we found and the sort of wider funerary landscape of the region. So it's super cool. And if you haven't seen the videos, please go and have a watch so this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that is so exciting. I guess for those people that haven't yet watched it... Um, Give us a breakdown of what we did when we did it and um, what dates we've got back. So it was it was, to, uh, it, was the, it was the late embers of the, the last proper COVID lockdown. Um, it's fair to say both you and I were pining to uh, go out and do some field work. And sort of around the time that the, the parties were all dying down in Downing Street, we decided that... Um, as lockdown was coming to an end, we could go outside and do some, do some field work safely and legally, I should point out. Um, so we, we, we've been planning a, a career in ruins excavation for a while. And I've had a field project in, in and around sort of the, the Dorset area for a long time. So we thought we'd do some pilot work within that project. And we, we 
we'd had some students doing some geophysical work and some landscape survey and we'd identified a pretty tasty looking multi-period site you could say it was a smorgasbord of archaeology um a real a real range of stuff and uh, <laughs> and uh we we put in a trial trench actually I, if i'm honest i was aiming for a roman building because i know there's a roman building in that field um we didn't find a Roman building, but what we did find was three different, very clear phases of archaeology. So we had a, a medieval building type structure, a post pad, which is quite common in the kind of heafy, sandy, muddy areas of, of Dorset and Purbeck. And that was overlaying a Romano-British kiln structure. So we had some ceramic wasters and some kiln structures, which was built on a bit of a slope. And then underneath that, we had a, a, a thin layer of topsoil and then two human burials. Um, really unusual because we're, we're in very acidic soil in this, in, this, in this study area. So we don't tend to expect bones. So it wasn't really on our radar when we, when we put the trench there. I wasn't, certainly wasn't aiming to find it. But of course, once you do, you have a responsibility to record and, um, and understand it as best you can. We disturbed the soil, so we'd, the excavations had put the bones at risk. So we had to record, lift and identify and understand them. So we, we extended the project by a few days, um, excavated them in detail detail lifted them and because of the acidity of the soil it was like excavating paper mache it was very difficult to dig some of the hardest digging we've ever done i think and what's remarkable though is having having left them to kind of dry out over the last six months or so they've they've solidified they've become solid so we can actually clean them up and analyze them properly which can give us the sex of the individuals it can give us the age of the individuals and tell us a bit about the, their lives possibly even how they died but because of the fragmentary state of the bones it might be very difficult but we already know some really exciting things about these two individuals uh they were buried at different times because the the later one the one higher up had cut through the lower one chopping it off at the knees so it disturbed the earlier grave but they both seem to be cut into something either a bank or a mound of some sort my favorite theory is that they were cut into an earlier barrow but it could just be they were cut into an earlier into an earlier mound because um, we, we know that happens we know that um things like bronze age round barrows are respected and reused in later periods mm, mm. one of the most exciting things and thank you to um uh, remsen estate trust for support here um we got some carbon dates done and while one of them was too um, degraded to date the higher up one in the sequence was dated to just that period around the late iron age around about the time if you were alive at that time you would have possibly seen the romans coming so really late iron age which is an incredible period and it fits within some of the wider research projects we've got going on at bournemouth at the moment but crucially in the study area we're looking at because we don't have many it can tell us loads that we didn't know before you know how we always say you make your own luck <laughs> yeah i'm kind yeah. of tall on this one because we did make our luck in that we we used scientific data and decent interpretation of 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 a site based on sites on the in the plough soil geophysics results to inform where we put we put a five by one trench and in that trench we hit multiple phases of just general archaeological sites and features but then two human burials crouch crouch burials and well enough preserved to give us a um a date and and we were f fortunate enough to, enough to get that support from the Ramsden estate but 
I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of luck there, sure. I, I'm going to say that we, we always say, as you say, that you make your own luck. But I think this is one instance where luck played a big part because we've, I've, thought, I've thought about this time and time again since that excavation. There is no technique I can think of that would have identified those burials. It's too deep for traditional magnetometry. Radar wouldn't have worked in the soil. Resistivity wouldn't have identified it. There was no noticeable cut. There was so much bioturbation. There wasn't any contrast in the soil itself. The only way we would have identified burials in that particular place would have been to excavate. And to do it in a five by one, that's lucky. That's lucky, pal. <laughs> <laughs> it is lucky. So we, that's so exciting. So we've got um, that student looking at those, those skeletons. We've already got some, some great data in terms of their age and potentially their diet um, from that analysis that, that, that's been done. Was that, was that in Belfast that they did that? Yeah, yeah. The labs in Belfast did the carbon mm-hmm. thing. Gave, gave us some isotopes, which suggests a sort of a, a regular kind of um, meat-dominant diet. So so not, not harborside fisher folk. This is a, a standard kind of... Um, omnivore diet um, I guess uh, but re- really interesting and also um, one thing that the students looking into at the moment and we've done a bit of background work on as well is trying to find similar contemporary examples in the area and there there simply aren't any there's there's maybe two examples within five kilometers uh, whereas when we find graves in this period we often find lots of them and something I'm quite keen to understand is are there more? I think there's some big questions there, which oh, is quite exciting. Good. I guess so if people want to find out more about that that excavation, our research, it's all documented on our YouTube channel. So if you go to Career Ruins, unfortunately Career in Ruins was taken on YouTube, but Career Ruins on YouTube, you can you'll see our logo, you'll see our icon, and um, there's four episodes to be seen. So there's the the planning episode because Harry Manley, who has been on the podcast before and hosted when you've been away, um, was part of our team on this excavation. So it's the three of us that um, that undertook the research, and it, the the series kicks off with us talking about our plans, the previous research, the geophysics undertaken by students, why we're doing what we're doing, the the, the actual methodology of identifying and interpreting a site that to inter- insert a trench on. And then you can follow us through those three days of excavations that we that we undertook, and and we will do an updated video at some point to talk through the post decks for, for certain. It's well worth the watch, and to be honest, the, the highlight is the promo for me. I love I love the edit on that. <laughs> the promo is great. Our lovely friend Dan Pringle did that, but also um, our new theme tune comes from that YouTube channel. Exactly, Dan yeah. linked us up with a, a fantastic. Um, music producer to, to create that so uh, check it out and you can find a link to that fantastic guy as well um yeah yeah good but on a on a better scale on a on a higher polished a bigger level budget. of production <laughs> bigger budget as opposed to zero pounds and a cap in hand we've um, got some incredibly exciting stuff happening haven't we yeah we have <laughs> do, you, do you see what came out today is it the dates today the dates for Time Team. The new Time Team is back. It is back. So those of you that have been listening, well, this whole series largely being based on people that we met in the Time Team canteen. But um, but yeah, the, Derek and I were really super fortunate to be invited to be part of the, um, the Time Team excavations, two excavations that took place in September last year. And um, they're finally ready to go. And we've got some launch dates. There, there's three half hour episodes 
to be to be launched on every day of the excavation in comparable every day of the excavation so so two excavations one in oxfordshire one in cornwall oxfordshire, oxfordshire looking at a large roman villa and the one in cornwall looking at an iron age settlement with subterranean um avenues and and all these other fantastic things attached to it but um yeah slight change to the traditional format of what, an hour long but with adverts for three days it's three half hour long episodes one half hour for each day of excavation exactly it's really exciting to see that it, it i don't think it's a big change in format i think it just builds anticipation because i i remember watching time team on channel four and the advert breaks always seem to be about around about the change of days so it's, yeah, it's similar to that i think the, the kind of three chunk approach for the beginning middle and end but spread over but three extra nights. half hour extra half hour Ooh, yeah that's that's half an hour more archaeology yes amazing yes. and so we've got what we've got it starts at start 6 p.m on friday the 8th of um april so this month no next month no march month? it's in march isn't it march march sorry i've got them the wrong <laughs> way around cornwall's first oxfordshire's second uh, for some reason the, the second one's on top of the list it doesn't make sense. it's this sort of pro scripting that that really appealed to makes this team. podcast stand out <laughs> <laughs> more than anyone else's um okay so cornwall first that's the iron age site at 6 p.m and that is greenwich meantime on the 18th of this month and then 19th and 20th and then 6 p.m british summertime because we're about to hit summertime on the 8th 9th and 10th of april is the oxfordshire roman site on the medieval estate so all of these are free we should say that all of these are free a lot of people i've spoken to are like oh but it's behind a paywall it's not behind a paywall it's not it's free on youtube and you can watch them not just when they're live or not just when they're broadcast but forever ever and you didn't have to if you're not part of patreon you didn't you didn't you don't have to pay a penny you just can enjoy it you can enjoy it the fruits of patreon's labor <laughs> and there'll probably only be a small bit of me and Derek, so you don't. It's not ruined. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fantastic. There'll be some of the old crew, some new faces, some incredible archaeology. I genuinely can't wait to see it. And having having three days broadcast over three days will give a real sense of progression through the sites, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, although I'm going to be like, I want to binge watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be hiding behind a pillow, saying, "Oh my god, it's me! Oh god, you're the worst." Hopefully, we're not. Here's Derek Pittman. It's a smorgasbord of archaeology. <laughs> Time team is back. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, uh, yeah, shout out to all the team behind that. And yeah. um, if if you find yourself at a loose end, do tune in. There's no cost to it. And you can enjoy it. And you might spot our mugs, which is a bit different to us just being in your ears. Yeah, I, I can't wait. It'll be It'll be good, I think. It'll be good. Anyway, have we been waffling on too long now? I was going to say, I think everyone's had enough of us. This is why we normally have guests, because yeah. our, sort of, our, our interest levels in ourselves and I guess the interest levels of our audience are probably stretches to about 15 minutes. So we've, we've gone well over. Well over. Oh. <laughs> oh. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> but we'll be back next week for our final episode with uh, Dr. Awa Karobi talking about her career in ruins. And it will be a good one. I am sure of that. Hey, and for between now and then, thanks to everyone that's been listening. Um, we've just finished another month worth of listens and we got 2,500 listens, which is amazing. And thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And um, yeah, we'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.